title of my message over these next few moments is, is The Light to My Path. We're actually going to talk about the Word of God and the way that we approach it and what needs to be done in our life and how we need to allow the Word of God to influence us. There was a grocery store owner that had a young man walk into a store and he was on the cell phone and he was close enough that he could overhear the young man speaking and the young man said, I would like to do your yard work. And he said, oh, you already have somebody? He goes, are they doing a good job? Are you completely satisfied and is he totally dependable? Is there any reason that you would consider firing him and making a change? And then he hung up the phone and the man looked at the young man and thought, do you need a job? And the young man said, no, no, I do the lawn of the people I called. I was just calling to check up on myself to see what kind of a job I was doing. And I thought, you know, there's aspects of us diving into the Word of God on a daily basis that gives us the ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to find out how we're doing. Uh, you know, we, we have ways of taking our temperature. We have ways of knowing when, when there's something wrong or if we're battling an affection. The Word of God allows us to, to view ourselves through the light of the Holy Spirit that brings us into a place where God can begin to do a greater work within each of us. And as we enter 2020, we must inevitably ask the question, how will we as individuals and how will we as a church face an opposing darkness that seems to be growing at a more rapid rate than ever in history? How will we as a church, what does a victorious church look like in the context of our world? What does an overcoming Christ follower look like? How will people know that the living, all-powerful God of the universe is living in and leading each of us as individuals and leading us as a church. What does that look like and how do we fulfill that? There are those that believe and, and probably especially those that are relatively new in your walk with the Lord that you believe that, boy, if I just read the Bible, it's like a bolt of lightning and it just comes in and it surges and it changes everything. I want you to understand that the Word of God acts like a vitamin to us, that there's an accumulation of reading His Word that begins to leach into the nature of our soul and into the, the nature of our behavior. And the more that we bring it in, the more that it absorbs within us and the more we begin to live out exactly what God desires of it. So there is the, the living word, the, the word of God, the bread of life that, that literally nourishes us and helps us as, and guides us into our well-being. Today, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to one verse in a relatively long chapter, and it's Psalm 119, and the verse is 105, and I just want to spend a few minutes this morning giving us some guidelines on how we can approach reading the word. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, and many of you have memorized this verse, the scripture says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning on the first Sunday of a brand new year and a brand new decade, I thank you for your written word. I thank you that you have revealed to us the way to live through your word. And we pray that as we read it, and as we study it, and as we meditate it, and as we hide your word in our hearts, that we might be able to live an abundant life, a life in victory, and a life in your freedom. May we live in such a way 
that it would be unquestioned by those who observe us that the living God of the universe is alive and well, living and working in us and through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Pablo stood here and he spoke to us on what it means to be resolute, to have a resolve as we face a new year and as we face a new desire and, and, and desire to make changes within our life that reflect well on the Lord. And so we have discovered as a staff and begin to make plans for this months ago that we as a church would read the Bible together. And I recognize, I don't know if, you've, if you have tried the Bible app. How many of you have that app already in your Bibles? How many of you today it will be helpful because you'll be uploading it, downloading it? You'll just be loading it. I'm not sure if it goes up or down, but you'll, you'll be loading it on your Bible. You'll be loading it. Uh, I have discovered that you also, there's a function on that, that as you're reading it, you can push the, uh, the little icon there, and it will read it to you. And you can have it read to you as you're reading it, and it will scroll down through the chapters of that day, the verses as you go down. And there have been many times already in the first few days I've had to stop it because I wanted to jot some notes down for myself. And I've also discovered this works in my car as well, that I just hit it and, and through the Bluetooth as I'm driving in the car that I can have the Word of God read to me in that. And so we are doing this because we desperately want the value and the nature of God to be deposited into us through His Word. And as I was thinking about this, here, here's what my desire is. I, how many of you are task people? You just write lists and you like to do things because you can scratch them off. I, I am so that way that I had to really just address myself at the very beginning of the year as to the motives for wanting to be able to read the Bible through in a year, not just so I could stand before you and say, I read the Bible through this year, but that there would be an aim to this. And so at the very start of the year, at the very beginning Sunday, I want to talk to us about the aim of reading the Bible. Because I have a burden for our congregation, just like I do for myself, that we don't get caught up in reading the Bible cover to cover just so we can scratch it off the list and say that we have done it. But that through the verses that we read and, and as we see them and as we hear them, that the person of Christ, the living God, would allow us to know him and allow us to cherish him, and to treasure him, and to enjoy him, and to trust him, and to be at home in him. And I want to count him as I'm going through his word more desirable than any other thing within my life. Because if I read it just to say I've checked the box, then I have missed the value of his words. And I haven't let them penetrate my heart. And so my desire today is that I would present you with six responses that we will have to face as we read the word of the Lord and that through that we will allow him to do some great work within our life. One of the things that I noticed right away on, on January the 1st, and, and I, I would have filled this with water, but there would be water all over when I'm done, and I just want you to picture this full. How many of your lives are already full? Way more than in the first service. There was only like four people that said their lives were full in the first service. Our lives are full. And here's what I discovered. When we want to begin to add something into our life, and, and for those of you that regularly read the Word of God, this isn't going to be an addition. It's something you already do. But 70% of Christians do not read the Bible every day. And so for 7 out of 10 of you, the desire to be involved in the Word of God is going to be adding something to an already full life. 
And what happens is if you just add this onto the top, whatever is on the top gets added last is also the first thing that gets deleted first. And so one of the things that as you're approaching the Lord, in your full picture of life, you're going to have to allow him to pour some things out so that you have room to add in what is truly of value. I started, I started trying to do this last year saying, you know, there's some good things in my life, but, but I found them to be so time-consuming and didn't add anything to me that I said, Lord, I don't often pray this way, but I want you to begin to prune my life. Prune the things that may be just time-consuming, but really don't add any spiritual value and, and really don't do anything to help my testimony. And I have discovered that he's good at that. He begins to elevate to your thinking those things that even though you may be used to them and they are time fillers and they've been good, it may be that they're not best. And the Lord can begin to rearrange some things within your life. One of the first mornings as we were reading, I saw some young mothers as they were texting back and forth some of the things that they were learning through, through the Bible saying, I came to the realization that I've got 15 minutes in my day that's quiet. And I have six things on my list to do in that 15 minutes, but I chose to take that 15 minutes and get into the Word. And I begin to think, this is what's going to be the challenge for many of you. How do you rearrange life so that the things that are most important get put in first so that then God can begin to add those things else into your life? The first thing that we're going to have to deal with as we read the Word of God is this. How will we respond to his conviction? How will we respond to his conviction? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8-10 through 10 said, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended... And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. When we approach the word of God, one of the first things that we're going to have to do is make a decision. How will I respond when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit arrests me? In that moment, the choice must be made. Will I allow that feeling, that conviction to lead me to a place where I let the Holy Spirit rearrange my desires and rearrange my behavior? Or will I just live with the feeling of being convicted and still do what I want to do anyway? The word convict, as it is translated from the Greek word anuncio, means to convince somebody of the truth. In other words, when we approach the Word of God, His Holy Spirit is going to constantly be at work convincing you of the truth how many of you have recognized that God can get away with saying things to you that you would never let anybody else say to you if a family member came up to you and brought up some of the things of the Lord you would just be offended at the how dare you and instantly we would begin to bring up all of the reasons and all of their faults of why I don't have to listen to you man it's hard to fight with the Holy Spirit as he begins to reveal things about our nature and he begins to present it to us in such a way that the truth is there. And so conviction is a product of a relationship with God. Conviction is a product, it's a fruit of that relationship. 
Early in my marriage with Cindy, we were out with some old college friends, and, and in an effort to be funny as we were all joking around, I made a really bad joke at her expense. And as everybody else is laughing, I looked at her and I saw her eyes. And I could see the wound and the hurt in her eyes and the disappointment as she is thinking, you are the one person that promised to love me, honor me, and protect me. And I begin to, to feel that conviction of why did I do that? And it was in that moment that I made a determination that I would never again, to the best of my ability, ever make everybody else laugh at her expense. And it was the feeling of disappointment that led to a behavior change. I believe that when the Spirit of God begins to work on us, we've got to learn that when we feel that prompting, that we would simply say to him, Lord, I don't ever want to have to feel that conviction about that issue again. What is it about my life, as it's reflected in your word, that you need to prune in me so that I can grow and move on from this? The relationship that we are concerned about is our relationship with God. Conviction then is a quality that builds through the experiences that we have in God, making him the center of our lives. So why are we convicted? Because the more we come to know him, the more precious he becomes to us, the more we want our life to center around bringing pleasure to him. And we grow in these elements, and our growth depends upon the day-to-day -day faithfulness in the little things of life. And so God's work in his word is convincing us of his truth that leads us in the development of what I call convictions and values. Now, I can tell you that in a church this size and with different people in different stages of life, we may all belong to Christ, but we don't all have the same convictions. And we don't all demonstrate the same values. I will tell you that the more you grow in the Lord, the more your values and the convictions of your life will more closely be associated with him than they are when you first began. And so we need to be graceful with one another during the growth process, giving grace to each other as we grow in the Lord, and also allowing the word of God to prune us and to bring us to those places. We have what we call in the Assemblies of God, it's an instantaneous sanctification and a progressive sanctification. The moment that you received Jesus Christ into your life, you acknowledged him, asked him to forgive you of your sins and said, I'm going to be a follower of Christ. Your righteousness was made perfect. Your salvation was sure. If you were to be called to stand before him, you would be clothed in a robe of perfect righteousness. However, that doesn't mean that instantaneously he's done working on you. There's a progressive nature to this, that the word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to begin to develop in us. And that is that we would daily grow in the Lord to become more like him in our outward uh, displays, the things that we speak about, the, the way that we carry ourselves, and our convictions and our values. There are things that when you're young in Christ, you may think, hey, I'm okay with this. That the closer you grow to the Lord, you're, you're willing to let those things and activities be pruned from you so that your life is a better reflection of the glory of the Lord within your life. And so this sanctification comes as we approach God's word and we have to learn how will I respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The second response that we're gonna have to learn to live with as we or learn to deal with as we approach his word is how will you respond to God's approval? How will you respond to God's approval? 
For many of you, you have lived your life in Christ with the idea that God doesn't like you. And you are working so hard by the things that you do and the actions that you do just to try to have a moment when you feel as if God approves of you. I want you to know something. I believe that God is far more pleased with you than you think he is. I believe that part of being in the Lord and in his word is coming to an understanding that when he saves you and transforms you, he delights in you. Some of you need to get that and let it sink into your soul. God is not mad at you. He delights in you. He approves of you. And he works in you. And so we need to learn how how do we respond to God's approval. How many of you know people that don't take compliments well? Some of you may be saying, it's me. I I just don't know how to... I want you to know something. There is an aspect in reading the word where we're going to have to learn what do I, how do I respond when God simply is letting me know he loves me and he approves of me. I think that there's five ways that we can respond. Psalm 18 verses 19 and 20 says, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me. In other words, when we do the right thing, when we respond to the leading of the Lord and we do the right thing, there is a feeling that comes within our soul that we can begin to recognize God delights in our obedience. And how do we respond? I think, number one, we can respond by praising him continually. Praise God often. For his blessings in your life. The bigger the blessing, the longer you should praise him. If you have been praying for something for 10 years and it finally God gives that gift to you and blesses you with that, don't praise him for one minute. Praise him continually. I don't think there's a moment of the day when we can't think of something that we can give thanks to God for. I woke up this morning thinking, I am so glad to be born in this country. I'm so thankful to be here. I'm so th- I don't know why God blessed in such a way for each of us, but here we are. Thanks be to God, because we could be living as a persecuted church and having an underground service somewhere, and even they today are rejoicing and praising God for something. But praise God continually as you respond to his approval. Praise him appropriately. We should respond appropriately to God's blessings. If God has blessed you financially, then praise him financially. Bless him with those things. Take the opportunity in every way to let God know how thankful you are for the blessing and approval that he has placed within your life. Render again according to the benefit done given to him. Big blessings should be answered in big praise and big gifts and surrender to the Lord as we stand before him. Also, we should praise openly. We live in a world that's trying to silence the church. I believe that when people say, how are you doing today? It would not be inappropriate for the church to say, I am blessed by God today. I think it would be appropriate for us to respond that the Savior of my soul and the leader of my life and the divine God who is almighty has blessed me today and I need to let you know about it. So I will praise him openly. To show how I live in his approval. Praise him humbly. In Psalm chapter 8, it says, How majestic is your name 
Who would it be that you would, who am I that you would even consider me? Have you ever felt that way as you're looking around the world or you're looking at stars at night and you're thinking, God, out of all of this creation, who am I that you would know me and die for me and bless me and heal me and live with me and speak to me? Who am I, oh God? I am so humbly, humbly praising you today for all that you have done as we live in God's approval. And then praise him obediently. It's proof of your faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you will stay in the place of blessing when you live obediently. So thank God with your life and not just your words, but obey him. And as you obey him, learn to live and respond to God's approval over you. Thirdly, you're going to have to, as you're facing the word, learn how am I going to respond to God's commands? I was here yesterday morning and there was a junior Bible quiz meet going on and I stepped into a room and and got to watch two of our three teams that are from Grace Assembly here quiz one another and and there was a quotation question. And the quotation question had to do with Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And and the verse, I I, I was listening and thinking, that's in my sermon tomorrow. And so I know that there are kids that know this by heart. But it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One of the things that I love about the commands of God is that if he gives us a command, he will also provide the strength and resolve to be able to fulfill it. He doesn't ask us to do something that he doesn't qualify us to do. And he clearly makes known to us in this verse a great principle. That when he commands, he walks with you. When he commands, he's given us his presence. When he commands, he gives you the strength. Now, last week, Pastor Pablo mentioned for us to begin to dream about what would happen. And this is a very realistic thought. What would happen if every one of you led one person this year, in the next 12 months, one person to Jesus Christ? Because we have a command given to us. Go you into all the world and make disciples. That's the command of God. And as we read the word of God, we are faced with the commands that he has given to us. And then he says, and I'm going to be with you. In other words, you're not doing this alone. In fact, I've gone before you. You don't even know it. I've prepared the way for you so that the people that you come in contact with are ready for you to interact with them and lead them. And I'm with you in all of this. And the joy that comes from obeying the commands of God in that moment leads us to a place where the kingdom of God is blessed and continues to grow because we obeyed the commands of the Lord. And so when we read his word, we are going to have to determine in our heart, how will I respond to the commands of God? The next response that we're going to have to deal with is how will we respond to his promises? He makes promises, and we marvel at his grace, and we trust that he will do what he says tells us in Hebrews 13, 5, and 6, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I want to be really cautious here because we are living in a day where scripture twisting is at an all-time high where we hear people on TV and places that we read that take scripture promises of God, pull them out of the context in which they were intended, 
twist them and then tell you that we have the right that God will follow our demands as we apply these promises of God. Folks, I want you to understand that when you are reading the word of the Lord, you need to be really cautious when you get words within the areas of the promises of God, that words that say gift or given, or to the words then and if, when you're reading the promises of God. Because if you see those words, you know that there is a promise that can be biblically claimed, but it also means that there's a condition of your life that must be met in order for you to qualify for the promise that may be given. I was taught a long time ago that a good way to navigate the promises of God is to think of it as a three-legged stool. Number one, you have to know about the promise. That's the first leg of the stool. You have to understand the promise, that it's another leg of the stool. And then you have to have the biblical and accurate claim to the promise, which is the third leg of the stool. And so a good template for us as we are reading the word of God and we come to promises that we want to apply and we want to claim is number, uh, number one is understand the context of the verse. Don't ever just pull a promise out without having an understanding of what is going on in that chapter. What is going on that, that led to that particular thing? Because if you understand what's going on before and what's going on after, the situation, the setting, the timing, what was happening. In fact, for all of you who've ever been through English, it's a good thing to do when you're, when you're reading the scriptures to ask who, what, when, where, and why. So that we can come to an understanding of what was the context in which this was given. And then... Ask critical questions. Do you know that we as believers have been um, criticized because we are not thinking people or we don't critically think well? I believe that we who are followers of Jesus Christ should be known better than anybody else for our critical thinking because there's nothing that has ever taken the word of God down and there won't be. And so it's okay for us to critically look at the scripture, view it, understand it, dive into it to see exactly what is this promise saying? Is it a conditional promise? Is it unconditional? Is it limited or unlimited? Is there an if that is stated? Is the promise specific to someone in the Bible? Ask critical questions when you're reading the word. You're not going to scare God off. And you just might allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into a deeper understanding of his word than you have ever had before. Now, I will tell you, I've already discovered this five days into this program. Uh, for those of you who are story-type readers, you're going to hate this because you don't get to finish the story for like a month. You get a chapter, and then you jump to something else. For those of you who like the context, this will help you get through the Bible, but please don't let this be the only thing you do in the Bible. If there's something that strikes you, dive into it and read the whole story so that you can get the context of things. So this Bible program, I'm just warning you ahead of time, you'll get through it, but it's going to jump you from uh, an Old Testament passage to Psalm to a New Testament passage, and you may very well need to go back and just capture the context in its entirety by reading the whole story. But when you do that and you ask the Holy Spirit, what of this promise may I claim? Lead me into the truth of this. And then you exercise your faith. And by faith you stand on the promise of God. And you believe in him. And then you act on the promise. As God permits you and said, yes, this is for you. You dive into it. You believe. You act. And you proceed in faith. And you move ahead. So understand and ask and claim and act. And remember to use this template to help you discern when God has made a promise that he wants you to receive and to step into. Fifthly, you're going to have to learn, how will I respond to God's warnings? I 
we just finished Christmas. We just took our lights down last night. And, but when I was buying new lights, because I put them all up and discovered half of them didn't work from last year. Any, any, of, any of you ever had that problem? And it's not one string that's out. It's half of one string. I had three half of one strings. So I went to the store to get some new ones, and as I'm looking at it, I read the box, and here was the warning on one of the light boxes. Good for indoor or outdoor use only. I thought, can I not string them through the doorway? <laughs> we were buying some sleds for our grandkids in the hope that this might be one of the years that we would have a natural white Christmas. And on the package of the sled, it said this, Beware, sled may develop high speed under certain snow conditions. <laughs> exactly! I mean, when I'm going sledding, I'm looking for certain snow conditions. I thought, this must be written for people who live in Florida that, that just don't understand that if you put a sled on snow, something's going to happen. In fact, I, I often drive by the reservoir. Some of you do too. It's, it's so tempting. I have a dream. I dream one day that they will remove that plastic fence from the middle of that thing and that the laws will be reversed for just one hour, stop traffic on the main road. I have a dream <laughs> that I can live the potential of one of those sleds just once in my life to see what it is like to fly down the side of that reservoir on an icy day and see how far I can go. That's what I'm looking for. But the warning said, beware. There was a carpenter's router that carried this warning. This product is not intended to be used as a dental drill. <laughs> I, I would have loved to have been in their lawyer's meeting when they're trying to come up with this stuff. Thinking, you know, we've had a problem the last couple of years. Dentists are really trying to get by cheap on their dental equipment. They're just coming down the aisle. They're buying these drills. We better put that warning on there. I'm a fisherman, and on one of the fishing lures that I was looking at was attached this warning, harmful if swallowed. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, I have been out in the boat on a number of occasions where I was starving. <laughs> but I have never opened my tackle box and went, whew. That looks like a Twinkie to me. You know, life is, life is full of warnings. It seems as if there's somebody that's always telling us what we can't do. And, and some think that this is the essence of Christianity, that God sits up on his heavenly throne and all he does is issues rulings like, like you can't do this and warnings that don't make sense. Don't do this, don't do that. And, and you can't have any fun. And, and I want you to know that's not the God we serve. And the warnings that are listed in Scripture are to put guidelines around us that we can live in great freedom in the middle of those things. In fact, we know so because in, in Psalm 119, verse 32, it says this, I run in the paths of your commands, for you've set my heart free. That does not sound like a restrictive God to me. 
And he says in verse 45 of that same chapter, I will walk about in freedom for I've sought out your precepts. In other words, your warnings to me give me guidelines by which I stay within what is safe and I have great freedom in the safety of obeying the warnings of the Lord. And so I ask you, are you set free? Because in these two statements, they connect freedom and obedience to the word. One seeks out the freedom that is great for us when we obey the commands of God and we listen to the warnings of God. And so if he's warning you of danger while you were in the word, take him seriously and watch with a thankful heart. And sixth and lastly, when you're reading the word, how will you respond when God reveals himself to you? This is probably one of the greatest things about getting into the word of the Lord. In fact, as I was thinking about this, there's a song that we sing And the lyrics say this, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you. If you will approach the word of God with the prayer of the Spirit saying, open the eyes of my heart, what God will begin to reveal to you will be unbelievable to you. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to me and to our church. I want to know his heart. I want to live in such a way as you do that responds to the things that are important to him. I want the ministries of our church to revolve around the heart of God. I want to know his passions. I want to know what's important to him, not just as it relates to me, but as it relates to each of us, and that we live in these passions knowing that the greatest joys of life are lived in the middle of the passions of the heart of God. I want to know his methods. Have any of you ever asked God for wisdom? Lord, I'm facing a situation. I don't know what to do. I want to know his methods that are revealed to us through his word. I want to know his plans, his nature, his holiness. I want to know him better this year than I've ever known him before. And as he describes himself to us and as he describes his son and describes the work of the Holy Spirit to us, I want us in that moment to know his heart as he reveals it and to be able to live in the joy of a God who is known and who knows. And so as we approach the word, as we read the Bible from cover to cover in 2020, it's a great goal. It's a goal that positions us well to commune with God, to keep communion your aim this is what i'm going to ask you don't make it a task there are going to be days when it will be a task you need to know that but don't make it a task make it a joy so that you can enjoy the benefit of the aroma of the fresh bread of the word of god and that we could eat it and let the holy spirit drip the butter cross our mouth as we taste and see that the lord is good. 